turn your Bibles to Numbers chapter 16. I'm going to give you a little background. Uh, going back to the very beginning uh, of time as we know it. But today, here's the main topic. This is about recognizing the sin of rebellion. It's the whole purpose of this sermon is to recognize the sin of rebellion. Whenever you see it, smell it, walks like duck, quacks like duck, I want you to recognize the signs of the sin of rebellion, okay? Most obvious, most awful rebel in the entire universe is Satan himself. It's a picture of when he's cast out of heaven with all his fallen angels with him. And the Bible tells us a little story about him and a couple of the prophets that said, you were a guardian cherub. You were anointed by God. God placed him on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones Lucifer walked. He was blameless as all his ways from the day he was created until unrighteousness was found in him. God says to him, in the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you. Prophet Isaiah writes, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Now, what word do you see over and over again is the sin of Satan? What's, it, what's the word? He, what's his favorite word? Uh, excuse me. <coughs> Thanks. Yeah, I mean, this is all about him. It's just total pride. He wants control. He wants to be the man of the universe. But God puts him in his place. He says, you're shot down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. Now, while he's on earth, he's kept down to earth, and he runs into Eve here. He's going to invite her to join his rebellion. We see here in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. So he says to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, this is the first thing, and I think is at the root of all sin, is calling us to question the word of God. That's at the heart of every sin. Is this right or is this wrong? Let's look at the word of God. So the woman answers the serpent and said, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now watch what Satan does next. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Now that's a lie. She's going to. But then he mixes in a truthful statement. He said, for God knows. He's like, God's up to something. He doesn't have your best interests in mind. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. That's at the heart of rebellion. You want to be the boss. So he's doing to Eve, bringing something out of her that is in his heart, which is that desire to rule. You'll be like God, and then watch this. He says, knowing good and evil. Now, that's true, because God does know the difference between good and evil. But here's what I want you to see. Pick this up from a member this morning. Up until this time, all Eve had ever known, or Adam, was only good. You see, the only thing the devil can open your eyes to is evil. And so when you rise up and want to do things on your own, that is inviting the devil himself to reveal his evilness 
to you. His rebellion against God, which is the heart of all sinfulness. Now, remember that. We're going to come back to it later. I want you to recognize Satan in his ways. Now, let's pick up. If, you, if you've been here the last few months, we talk about Moses, okay? Moses, when he was a younger man, he was a prince of Egypt. He married the queen of the Ethiopians, also known as the princess of the Cushites. Everything was going well for him in his mid to late 30s. Then life just turned. He ended up getting exiled. He got divorced. He's out in the middle of a desert for 40 years. And then when he's 80 years old, God appears to him in a burning bush. And while he's talking to the bush there, God says to him, I want you to go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses is like, I don't want to do that. And God's like, well, I've chosen you. Well, there's somebody better probably than I am. No, I want you to do it, Moses. Oh, well, how about my brother? No, anybody but me, Lord. And God says, it's going to be you. Now get up. Your brother will meet you. Go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. You're going to do signs and wonders. It's going to be awesome. So Moses is like, oh, I never wanted this job. So he goes. He does it. All the miracles happen. The plagues. They go through the Red Sea. There they go. They're on the other side. They're getting bread from heaven every day, led by a, a fire of God during night, the cloud during the day. God gives them chicken on the weekends. I mean, it's just water from rocks, miracle after miracle, and yet the people still aren't satisfied with his leadership. I can see him just waking up every morning, God, I never asked for this. But at least he had his brother and sister with him. And then a few weeks ago, we talked about the story about how Miriam gets this wild hair one day, and she's like, you know what? I want to be co-pastor. I want to be senior pastor with you. I need some more authority here. And Aaron's like, yeah, me too. Who are you, little brother? So they speak against Moses. Now watch how they start out. They really want to be in control, but they start out bringing up his divorce from 30, 40 years ago. Just a reminder, at holiday times, don't bring up extended family members' ex-spouses during the holiday meal. Usually it doesn't go well, okay? But here's what I want you to understand. Before they get to what the really is the heart of the matter, watch this. Here's Moses, most humble man on earth, the Bible says, following the Lord. And they're right here. Why do they bring up his divorce from years ago? Why do they bring up his sin from years ago? Why do they bring that up? Listen, listen. When people are below you spiritually and you're in authority over them and they can't get to where you are, you know what they're going to try to do? Tear you down. So they hit him where it hurts. And it's his own brother and sister. They go after his character. And then they say, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. And when God hears it, he tells Miriam and Aaron to shut their mouth. Aaron's the guy who's in, that Moses is the guy in charge. And Miriam, because I think she started it, she struck with leprosy. And then Moses cries out, God, please don't take this out of my sister. Please forgive her. Now, this is the good news. is because of their repentant spirit, She's healed, and they go on from that point on, and they do just fine, okay? They had made a lot of mistakes, but from this point on, I think they do okay. Now, last week, we talked about how Moses 
sent out 12 spies into the promised land, and then their job was to do reconnaissance and come back and say, come up with a plan how we're going to go in and take the promised land that God has given us. Yeah, this is going to be awesome. Finally, we get back to the land of our forefathers. So the 12 of them go in, two of them come back out and say, we can do it, all right? But 10 of them come back and say, oh, this is a bad idea. And they brought the people of Israel a bad report that they had spied out. And they said, the land that we've gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there were the Nephilim, who are those we'll talk about that in Bible study night. The, the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And so that's how we look to them too. We're just a little bit, we can't do this. Listen, Moses never sent them in to determine whether or not they were going in. He just sent them in to determine how they were going to go in. But now they're playing role of judge and jury, usurping Moses' role of saying we're going in. They're like, we don't want to do this. How's the congregation respond? They raised a loud cry, and they cry all night long. They're just filled with fear. And they said to one another, and this was the goal of the ten all along. It was the goal of the devil all along. Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. That's what's at the heart of rebellion. All the other stuff is details. The leader isn't leading exactly the way I want to, so therefore we're going to tear down his character. We're going to tear down her character. We're going to come after him or her so we can be in charge. We need a different leader. Now, how does Moses respond with the same way he did with Miriam and Aaron? Both he and his brother fall on their face before the assembly of the congregation of people of Israel, and they pray. Let me just ask you this. When you're attacked, what's the first thing you do? Do you lash back or do you fall on your face and say, God, help me? It's what we see Moses doing over and over again. Now, I want you to see the pattern that the devil's doing here. Started out working through two people close to Moses, Mir and Aaron, but thank God they repented and they ended up okay. Situation averted, right? Then the devil starts working with 10 people, the 10 spies. They didn't repent. God gives those 10 a plague and they die, okay? Now, they didn't overthrow Moses and, and the devil's got, got to be thinking like, man, I got to overthrow the people of Israel. I got to prove that God's not going to keep his promise. So this time, listen, the devil is going to keep on coming. You got to understand that. He's going to come back with 250 t- people this time under the leadership of a guy named Korah. The, man, I got to tell you this before I go on any further. The devil is after the things that belong to God. The devil is after the things, is trying to destroy the things that God loves. God loves your children. Everybody understand that? And he's after your children. And let me just tell you, he's not going to quit coming after them. That's why you've always got to be ready. God loves your family. God loves this church. He loves the unity that we have among one another. And the devil is always going to keep coming and coming and coming and coming. He might come from one angle, this angle, or another, but he is going to keep attacking. Just make up your mind right now. As long as he's allowed to roam free in this earth, he's going to be coming after the things that God loves. So be on your guard and recognize him when he starts to work. How's he going to do it here? Watch this one. Now Korah, the son of Azar, 
son of Kohath, son of Levi. Now, a lot of times we just read over that like it doesn't matter. It does. I'll tell you why. Kohath is Moses' great-grandfather. So what does that mean? They're all from the tribe of Levi. This is his great-grandfather. So what does that make Korah? His, it's a Wayne County, Atkins, or Ferguson. What does it make him? They're all cousins. They're all related. And so what, this is what he's doing. He's coming at Moses through his cousin. Like he's, he's known him a long time. They're supposed to be on his side. Now his cousin, Kohath, goes out and grabs Dathan and Abiram and a guy named On. How do you like that name? On, all right? No, you're off. No, I'm on, all right? So it's just son of Pilate, son of Reuben, from another tribe. But here's the main thing. Kohath is the guy reading this, leading this. Here's our, number one, recognize the devil when he's at work. Listen, rebels never go it alone. Rebels never go it alone. They will always solicit support. Why? Because they know in and of themselves, they can't lead rebellion against God's recognized leader. They're going to have to go out and solicit help. How do they solicit that help? Well, this is how they do it. Every single time, no exception. They spread discontent by ignoring all the positive the leader is doing and focusing on the few negatives. Every time this is what, so no matter how well things might be going on in your business, they're going to focus on this one part that's not working. No matter how well things might be going on in your family, this person's going to always want to argue about something. They just always got to argue about something. No matter how well things are going on in the church, this one area of ministry is not doing well, so they're going to ultimately attack whoever's leading. It doesn't matter what it is. Rebels will always spread discontent. The devil will always work through rebels to spread discontent by ignoring all the positives that are going on in the life and getting people to focus on the few negative things, negative thinking. And so now they're going around and they're soliciting, spreading this discontent. Even though Moses has done all these good things, all these miracles of God. So what do they do next? They've got a handful of people. Watch what it turns into. And they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation chosen from the assembly, well-known men. Now why well-known men? Why not just anybody? Here's why. Point number three. The devil always inspires rebels to attempt to manipulate influential people to gain momentum for their cause. Why do they do it? Because rebels know this. If I can just get so-and-so and so-and-so and they're joining with me, then everybody else, knowing those people or people of influence, will say, well, if Bob and Frank are with him on that, the rebel... Maybe there's something to this because we respect those guys. And so what rebels do is they manipulate these guys and they don't even realize they're being manipulated. And the way they do it is they just throw out these neg negative ideas like, hey, hey, Bob, how things going? Oh, it's going pretty good. Everything going all right in your life? Yeah. Well, Bob, how can I be praying for you right now how things in your family could work better? And your church could work better. And our business could work better. How could I be praying? Well, I do have a problem with it. Well, tell me about the problem you have. Yeah, you know what? Well, if I were leader, here's how I think we should fix that. And what that starts doing is sowing seeds of discontent against God's ordained authority in that place. 
No matter how many good things are going on, they're always focusing on the bad. They are negative people when it comes to anything the leader does. So they'll have people over to their house for dinner. They'll say nice things about your kids. They'll buy you gifts. But just watch, if anybody's doing things for you, and then they turn around and start complaining about leadership, let the antenna go off. This person has the heart of a rebel. What happens next? Well, they assemble themselves together against Moses. This is what happens. They're not coming by themselves. Let me, let, me, let me just say this about a rebel. I've never known a rebel just to come one-on-one and say, hey, will you work through this with me? I've never seen them do it with anybody else. They always come with a clump and say, well, we've been talking. <laughs> you know, this is what we've been saying. Man, nothing drives me crazier in ministry when somebody comes to me and says, we've. Or even worse than that, well, they've been saying. They've been saying, I, I always say, well, who's they? Well, I don't want to say, all right? It's just, no, I want to know who they is. Because a lot of times, let me tell you what happens. It, this happened here. I got to watch how I say this because I don't want to throw anybody in the bus. Uh, we had a ministry here that was going on one time. And, uh, oh, I'm just going to say it. All right, here it is, all right? They're not here anymore, so who cares? All right, here it is. So we had a, we had a ministry here one time, uh, feeding shut-ins. Still do on Wednesday nights. And so uh, we had somebody going around complaining to people that we weren't getting the shut-ins in the meals like they were supposed to. And so all these people start going, we're not taking care of shut-ins. Why aren't we doing shut-in meals anymore? We're not giving shut-in meals anymore. We're not giving them any. I'm like, I thought we were every Wednesday night. I see them going up there. I see Mary Glenn and other people and Angela putting them in boxes. And uh, uh, No, nah, we're just not getting into the shut-ins. I just, you know, and then I'm hearing from all these complaints. So people come to me, yeah, I'm hearing. And so finally I just start like, who complained to you? And you know what? It was the same person complaining to all the individuals. So everybody thought there was all this big problem, but it was just one or two people stirring it up. And then when I started looking into it, what happened was the shut-in asked that Mills not be sent to their house anymore on Wednesday nights because they had a family member coming over to cook, cook for them. But oh, the sky was falling. And what they do is they make it look like there was a big problem when in reality it's very small or maybe even non-existent at all. They assembled themselves together. They just find each other. And they said to Moses, now this is almost hilarious. You have gone too far, Moses. For all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. We've all got the Holy Spirit just like you do. You put your pants on the same way in the morning as we do. Or a robe back then, whatever, right? So then they asked this question. Why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? Who died and made you Pharaoh? You just want to be the boss of us, don't you? To which Moses would say what? No, I never wanted this job. You want it, you can have it. To which God would say, no, whatever you do, don't give it to him. Moses is the reluctant leader, but let me tell you, watch this, watch this, watch this. Rebels always attack the character of the leader, not the specific problem they say they're concerned about. Because listen, rebels aren't about fixing problems. They're about gaining power. 
It's all about control. So whoever's in charge, they, they want the power that person does. That's what he did with Eve. He says, don't you want to be like God? Go get that power. You can have it for yourselves. That, my friends, is a heart of a rebel. They will accuse them of pride, deceit, anger, lust for power. Why do they do this? I want to make a key point here. I don't want you to miss this. Listen, whatever rebels would project on a God's appointed authority, usually, not always, but usually, reveals the sin that's actually in the rebel's heart. So if he says, Moses, you just want to be in control, then ultimately, what's the problem? The rebel just wants to be in control. This is something in my undergrad in psychology we, we call projection. We oftentimes do that. If, if, if Jose's doing something I don't like, or I see him over there talking to a girl, and I say, oh, man, he's just trying to be nice to that girl, so she'll do this or that for him, all right? What I'm doing is projecting onto Jose what I would be doing if I was talking to that girl. I am putting my motives on top of him. We do that in our relationships all the time. We'll say about our spells, well, I know why you did that nice thing for me because you just want me to do this. And a lot of times you go, I, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. That wasn't why I did that. Yes, it was. What they're doing is projecting onto you what they would do if, you were in their, if they were in your shoes, okay? And that's why this is called the mirror principle. Watch this. Whenever someone wants more control, more power, more authority, watch. Here's the key. You want to know what's in their heart? What are they attacking the leader for? Whatever it is, that's what their problem is in their heart, okay? All right, so now, when this happens... How do leaders respond? How do a mom and dad respond when eight-year-old Johnny's going nuts? How does a coach respond when his players are rebelling? How did Moses respond? Well, he's been doing it the same way over and over. Well, how do you think he's going to respond? He's going to do what? He's going to pray. It says, when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. So he prays, dear God, help us. And then he gets up and he says to his cousin, here now, you sons of Levi. Now, get the picture here. He's talking to all the sons of Levi, but he does it like this, like I'm looking at Jose here. Here now, sons of Levi. What's he making? You see what I mean? He's not looking at everybody. He's looking at the guy that's causing the problem. He knows Jose's the problem. I love you, Jose. We're friends. I come early. He's like, man, I'm never going to come back to church again, so... He's looking right at the guy who's stirring it all up. There's always one guy behind it. It's amazing how everybody would get along if just one person wouldn't stir up trouble. You want to know, listen, you want to know who's really causing trouble in a situation? This is what you got to find out. If there's one person in this situation who would just change their mind and everybody would get along, that person's the problem. I'm going to say it again. If there's just one person who would change their mind and everybody else would get along, that person is the problem, not anybody else. Okay? So this is what Moses says. Is it too small a thing, Korah and all you Levites who are the priests, 
that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation and minister to them? Like you guys got the job of pastor. Everybody else is out here working manual labor all day out in the desert, but you get to stand in here and be priests. Pretty good gig. And he brought you near to him. You get to serve the Lord 24-7. This is your vocation. And all your brothers and all your relatives get to do it too. We're just blessed. Don't you realize how privileged you are? And this is what is at the heart of this, man. When you get the heart of a rebel, you've forgotten the privilege that God has given you. We just forget in the United States, man, when we complain about whatever our situation is, do you all not realize whatever people in Washington, D.C. are complaining about or Charleston about this country, how it stinks or whatever, I'm just telling you right now, do do you not realize how if you were born here in the United States, you've been given a privilege like no other people in the history of the earth. And when we sit around and moan and complain and curse, it's the heart. Rebellion. He said, do you want the priesthood also? Is that what this is about, Corey? You just, you just got to be the boss. You'll never be happy. Listen, we learned this from World War II. We learn it from the nation of Israel today. Do not appease a rebel. It will only give them a greater sense of entitlement. They appeased Hitler Oh, maybe now he'll get along. Maybe now he'll be nice to us. Pretty soon he takes over all of Europe. Why? Because they appeased him. You appease someone who's power hungry, and they will come back and bite you every single time. Why? Because they're entitled, and no matter how much good you do for them, they will always think deep down they deserved it. Same thing we see in the nation of Israel. Every time the Jewish people hand over land to the Arabs, thinking, now we'll have peace. Well, how's that worked out for him? Do not appease a rebel. It will only give them a greater sense of entitlement. It'll bolster them in the rebellion, and they will just take more people down with them. So Moses continues. He says, therefore, understand this, Korah, and all your clan, It is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? Like, what's he ever done to you? Note this principle. Listen, if God has given you the role of leadership, whether in a business, in a home, in a church, in a civic organization, listen, do not take rebellion personally. It's not rebellion against you. It's rebellion against God himself. I want to say this especially to our moms that are here. I know this is something that I I remember when once in a while when the kids would get a little out of line, just four or five years old, and Dee would take something away, and one of my children would say something to the effect of, you're a mean mommy. I could just see the expression on Dee's face go, and I remind them, like, Dee, you can't take it personally. From this four-year-old, it's not about you. That is the devil's sin in their heart that is bringing them out to rebel against the God who created them. So listen, whenever people rebel against your leadership, if you're in that role, listen, and they're doing it the wrong way. I'm not saying people can't keep people accountable. Of course we need to do that. 
But what I'm saying is when they're doing it the wrong way, when they're gathering groups over here and you're getting clicks and this group here and you're, you're being subversive, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's rebellion against God. So Moses calls Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab. That's the two. Remember, you always got one guy's leading it, but he's going to go out and grab two buddies. It works that way every single time. I rarely see an exception. You got one guy leading it, finds two friends, and then it grows from there. And they said, we're not going to do what you say, Moses. It's just flat out now, it's defiance. They think they've got the power. They think they've got the position to stand up on their own now. And they say, listen, Moses, you think it's a small thing that you brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, that you must also make yourself a prince over us? There it goes again. He accusing Moses of wanting to be the boss. And notice what they also do. They're the kings of revisionist history. They weren't in a land of milk and honey. They were in a land of bread and water. And they're just changing what the past was. Again, they're glorifying the past and they're demeaning the positives of the present. And they said, moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor have you given us influence or inheritance of fields and vineyards? Will you put the eyes out of these men? We're not coming up. Straight up defiance. Now look at this. This is what I want you to see. Watch, 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 watch. They're not in the promised land now. And they're blaming Moses for it. This is my question. Why aren't they in the promised land? Because they didn't have the faith to go in. Moses, they would have already been in there laying in their tiki huts, enjoying life. Except they had too much fear to do what Moses had told them to do. But instead, what they do is they're the ones that kept everybody from going in, but now they're blaming the leader for it. Watch this. This is something you got to understand about rebels. They start and fuel fires, then they complain about the heat. Man, everybody's around here complaining. You're the one telling them to complain. Well, don't worry about that. So here's the question. Which is better? Which is more wise? To keep putting out fires if you're leading an organization or to deal directly with the person starting a fire? It's the latter. So this is what Moses does. For the first time, we seem angry. When they blame him for not being in the promised land, that's when he goes, all right, now, time out. I'm up off my face now. Now I'm going to do what God's called me to do. It's time for me to lead. He says to the Lord, he prays. Lord, don't respect their offering. I haven't taken one donkey from them. I have not harmed. It's not about me controlling them. They say I'm in it for the money. I've never taken a cent from them. And then he looks back at Korah and he said, I'll tell you what. You and all your company before the Lord. You come out with Aaron tomorrow, and I want you all to bring your censers. That's like this bronze goblet where they would put these coals in the smoke. You know, like with the priest, they hang it like that, and it waves, and the smoke rises up. You guys, all of you bringing your own censer, all 250 of you, you've got this rebel group of 250 that don't want to get in line with everybody else because they're following one man that's stirring it up with two other guys. So here it is. So every man took his censer and they put fire in and they laid incense on them, stood at the entrance of the tent of the meeting with Aaron. Then Korah assembled all the congregation against them. Everybody come on, we're gonna stand up. We're gonna let them know our rights. But then God shows up. 
And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them a moment. And Moses and Aaron, well, they do. They pray again. He said, oh God, the God of the spirits and all flesh, shall one man sin? And will you be angry with all the congregation? Notice what he recognizes here. He says, it's not all these people's fault, God. It's not all their fault. Cor is the, my cousin Cor is the one causing this trouble. Just do something with him. Now the Lord's going to speak. He says to Moses, Moses, you say to the congregation, get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Moses rose up and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation saying, Warning, get away from these guys, lest you be swept up in this. He gives them a chance. God says, get away from these rabble-rousers. So they got away from Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. Man, you know what's coming. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. Who's going to go down in this situation? It's not just these three guys. It's going to be all of them. And the kids are going to pay the price. All because one guy is so proud trying to divide what God's been doing. Moses said, hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works. I didn't ask for this job. If these men die as all men died, and they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But... If the Lord creates something new and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down alive in the Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised me. Is what he says? No, Moses is not taking it personally. They've despised the Lord. And as soon as he finished the words, the ground opened and it split and the earth opened and swallowed them up and all the people, those children included. Man, my friends, listen, this is a tragedy. This is what happens when your families follow rebels. Nearly any church that's been around 100 years has been through this three or four times. This is what happens when someone rebels against their marriage vows. Kids pay the price. Same thing in a church, in a business, sporting organization. It's the kids that will pay the price. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive in the Sheol. And the earth closed over them. And they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel around them fled at their cry. For they said, lest the earth swallow us up. And fire came out from the Lord and it consumed the 250 men. They were offering the incense. These guys were pastors. That's who Korah went after. Other pastors. Listen. Stay away from rabble rousers. 
If you see people trying to dis- disrupt what God's trying to do, stay away from them. Now, I could end the sermon there, but I'm not because of the most important point. I've got four minutes to make it. And I need you to engage for these four minutes because, listen, everything I've said to this point, if you don't get what I'm going to say over the next four minutes, you've missed it all. You ready? Next verse, story doesn't end there. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, as for the censors of these men who sinned at the cost of their lives, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar, for they offered them before the Lord and they became holy. And thus they shall be assigned to the people of Israel. Okay, it's not advancing for me, Blake. Go ahead, verse 39. One more. So Eleazar the priest took the bronze censers, which those who were burned had offered, and they hammered them out as a covering for the altar. For what purpose? Look here, verse 40. To be a reminder to the people of Israel, so that no outsider who is not of the descendant of Aaron should draw near to burn incense before, lest he become like Korah and his company, as the Lord had said to him through Moses. So what is it? They took all that, watch this, watch this. They took all those bronze censers, and they melted them down, and they beat them into very thin metal. And then they placed that on the altar of God so that every time a priest came to offer his sacrifice before the Lord, he would be looking into that bronze metal that had been pounded out so thinly. Now you ask like, how's that going to remind them of Korah's rebellion? Well, here's why. I, heard a, I was thinking through this. And I heard a pastor give this illustration this week. Sometimes in schools, this was like this at East Bank. I don't know if y'all had rebels at your school, but if we had mirrors in the bathroom, like the idiots would always just bust the mirrors. Any of you go to a high school like that, you couldn't keep a mirror around. Like you had the thugs. Okay, everybody from Buffalo raised their hand. CK people, y'all are too good to do that. All right, so I went to East Bank. Everybody's thug. All right, so same way in like rest areas, you'll see a lot of times they do this. They do this in prisons. You can't put glass in there because it would also be a weapon. People break it all the time. So what they do is they get this metal, and they pound it out really thinly, and they put it there. Can you see on the screen? Like, it gets a little wavy. Like, it's not a perfect mirror, but yet you can see your own reflection in it, in it because it's been pounded so thinly. And that's what the purpose of beating out these sensors was because on the outside of the altar it all looks like this. So that every time a priest brings the blood of a lamb to put it on the altar of God, as he's doing it, when he looks into the altar, what does he see? Himself. My friends, this is why I share this story with you. If you've been sitting here today thinking, I hope so-and-so is listening to this story, I wish somebody would hear this or you're thinking about someone else who's being rebellious right now. You're missing the point of Korah's rebellion because the first place when we're talking about a rebel's heart that we have to look is always in the mirror. If I'm looking at my kid and calling him rebellious, maybe I'm the one that's causing that rebellion. Will you look in the mirror today 
And before you judge anybody else, just remember this. All of us in this room have the heart of a rebel. Every day we choose sinful things over obedience to Jesus. And we're the ones coming up to the altar who need Jesus' blood, the Lamb's blood that was shed on the altar of Mount Calvary to cover our rebellious hearts so that we're not swallowed up into Sheol. This story isn't written for others. It's written for me. And it's written for you. Look in the mirror. See the face of a rebel and ask God to forgive you every day. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, uh, do not, I do not direct this sermon to anybody but Steve Willis. Forgive me for my rebel's heart. Thank you, Jesus, for willingly submitting to the authority of the Father in your own life. For if you would have not, your blood would not cover my rebellious sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for my rebellion and for raising from the grave. And that same power, that same grace that saved me is still in the process of transforming me. And so I ask, Lord Jesus, on behalf of myself and the entire congregation, Lord, take away from us, sanctify us from these hearts of rebellion. And teach us to humbly submit ourselves to the authorities you've placed in our lives. I pray this in Christ's name.